Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is opening ourselves to the Word. And if I can describe this a little bit at the beginning here, the, uh, we could be excused for thinking of the Word, meaning the Bible, as a physical object. Uh, it's an inanimate object. You never wake up in the morning and it ran to the other side of the house or anything like that. You know, it's, it's an inanimate object. So surely we do the opening, right? We get the Bible, we open it up, we read it. We're the active party and it is the passive party. Uh, and so you can read whatever chapter you want. Whenever you feel like it, you can stop. And uh, we're entirely active and the Bible is passive. That's the way it seems. But what I want to argue tonight is actually uh, there is something active in Scripture and that when we open the Word like that, and particularly when we open ourselves to the Word, it has an active power in there that can get in and do things to our mind in a positive way. Uh, so actually, in an intriguing way, from a spiritual standpoint, we're the more passive party. Uh, we start it, but then it does more to us than we're doing to it, if that makes any sense at all. It probably doesn't. Stick around if you'd like to see if that makes sense by the end of an hour. Let's open with a prayer, shall we, good friends? <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we welcome you to this space. We pray for your presence among us. You are the Word made flesh. We ask that you open up the pages of your Word to us and explain yourself a little more to us, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Very good to be with you all. Sending love to those of you who are out online, getting the audio on the phone. It's a blessing to be with everybody who's here in the room. Thank you for coming tonight and opening ourselves to the Word. I was thinking about the last number of weeks that we've been doing Bible study where we've been talking about more than meets the eye. And then I was thinking about how do we open ourselves to that message that's in there. So I want to jump right in. A lot of these are very familiar scriptures tonight. They're some territory we've been over before in, in Bible study. Uh, hopefully you'll see them with new eyes. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. And I want to start with a, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. We're just doing a bunch of favorites tonight. This is the parable of the sower. And the sower is expressly a parable about the Word. So let's see how this goes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13. On the same day... Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. <clears throat> and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. 
and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yes, okay, there's the parable of the sower, which may be well known to many of you. It has four stages in it. Uh, the first is these seeds that fall in the stony places, and they don't have much earth. This, and the first three of the four don't work out, do they? They don't work out very well. So there's stony places. That doesn't work. Then there are others where it, it falls among um, thorns, right? First the wayside. Uh, I'm sorry, the wayside. I'm sorry, the wayside. And then the stony places where they don't have much depth of earth. Thank you, dear reader. Mm -hmm. And then it falls among the thorns and they get choked. And the fourth is good ground. So when we're talking about opening ourselves to the word, why do I think this is a parable about the word? Look at verse 18 where the disciples ask the Lord to explain it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And oh, you see, the seed is the word of the kingdom, right? Isn't that clear? So he said, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, go on. And does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So this is, this is a wonderful explanation. He's saying this is about the word. Interesting. Now, I just was saying a moment ago that the Bible is just a physical object and yet this parable suggests that, well, no, it's something that's being sown by the Lord and different people have different responses to it. Isn't that right? Let's go on. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Mm. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Mm. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Yes. So uh, although Jesus' explanations are already, uh, are, are still in correspondences, so he's still speaking in correspondences, nevertheless, you have quite a clear impression here that the seed is the word, and it's about people understanding it or not understanding it and bearing fruit or not as a result. Right? And so... The trick there would be, how can we be that fourth group, isn't it? How can we open ourselves? How can we be good ground? Uh, what it suggests, does it not, is that the Lord is scattering seed all the time over all of us. Like truth, he's sowing truth, he's sowing the word in all of us all the time. But you could divide it up by different kinds of people. You could also divide it up by different parts of ourselves. Some parts of ourselves are hard and, and stony and the birds come and take it away. Some have a little depth of, of soil. Uh, some have, do a little better, but they're full of thorns and some have this deep, rich ground in them. Uh, how can we be that part that understands it? Because doesn't that put the onus 
on us to open ourselves to the word if, if, if everything is about the reception of it, right? The Lord is doing exactly the same thing for everybody. So the whole question is, how do we become good ground? And uh, so this parable doesn't say directly, you need to change yourself. You know, it's a parable. And so it does that sneaky thing that parables do where you can decide to opt into the story or not. But it's pretty clear that the Lord is trying to motivate us to be good ground, to be receptive, to be fruitful, to get rid of the things, the thorns and so on that are in, in the way and uh, the, the hardness and uh, the or lack of soil and everything builds up over time. So uh, let's look at another passage that seems to speak to this. Let's go to Luke, Gospel of Luke, which is the third one in there. Chapter also 13. 13 is our lucky number tonight. And uh, let's look at the beginning of this. It's interesting the way the Lord gets into this here. Right at the top? Right at the top. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Yes, it's an odd way to put it, but there were Galileans who were making sacrifices and Pilate killed them. And oh. uh, so they, they were telling Jesus that this had happened. And so uh, Jesus' responses are always so amazing to me. He just comes from a higher level. You know, so he doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm so distressed to hear that. Uh, uh, thank you for telling me. What does he say? And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Which was a common theory at that time and still today. I think that lingers in the human spirit, doesn't it? <laughs> that if somebody goes through something bad, they must have been a bad person. And that's why this is happening to them. And so he immediately uses it as sort of a teaching moment. They say, oh, did you hear about the Galileans? And boom, he's up on a higher level. And he says, do you suppose they were sinners, uh, more you know, sinful than other Galileans because they suffered such things? And then he answers his own question. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, how did he go in two verses from a news item to you have to repent? Uh, that was pretty deft, wasn't it? Wow. I, sorry, I was just telling you the news. I, you know, <laughs> and somehow it's a boom. You know, if, if you don't repent, you're going to perish, the, whatever that means, you're going to perish the same way they did. And then he adds another news item of his own. What's that? Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Yeah, okay, you brought me a story. I've got a story too. Remember that tower that fell on those 18 people? <laughs> How about that too, huh? You think those people were worse? They were in Jerusalem, the other were Samaritans. Okay. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Rats, it has exactly the same wording in verse 5 <laughs> as verse 3. Yes, and so he's kind of hammering this point that they, they just come with this news item and he manages to make it into a lesson about repentance. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, what does that have to do with our topic tonight? Oh, 
the next verse. What is that? What's the very next thing he says? He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, mm. and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Oh, we've all been there, haven't we? You go out and your fig tree is just not doing anything. Uh, yeah, go on. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Yes, or in the glorious language of the old King James, why cumbereth it? the ground yes <laughs> but he answered and said to him sir let it alone this year also until i dig around it and fertilize it and if it bears fruit well but if not after that you can cut it down now so wait a minute what happened so people came in and they gave him some news about a bad thing that happened did you hear the bad news did you hear what happened wasn't that wasn't that terrible and he says, hey, guess what? You think those were worse sinners? You need to repent or you're going to go the way of the people who, who you know, died making their sacrifice. You need to repent or you're going to die the same way as the people who had a tower fall on them. And as you start to get to know a little bit about correspondences, the, the sacrifice, the tower has to do with truth. The sacrifice has to do with, with love or an evil love, false teaching falling on you, you know. If you don't repent, you're going to be subject to that same thing in some spiritual sense. Not literally, you know, but in some spiritual way. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then goes right into this little story about the fig tree. Now, what is going on here? So a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Interesting place to put it. And he came and sought the fruit of it, and it had no fruit. So there's this, what did he call him? In my, it's the dresser of the vineyard. What does it call it in the your The keeper of his the vineyard. The keeper of the vineyard. And he complains that he's been coming for three years and the figs is doing nothing. There's no fruit. You know, cut it down. Why should it take up the ground? Why take up space if you're not doing anything? It's a really basic feeling that gardeners have, isn't it? If something's not doing something, you could have something there that was productive. You know, why, why waste the ground with this thing that's not productive? But this keeper of the vineyard has an interesting response. He says to him, what does he do? He pleads, right? Doesn't he plead for the tree? He says, let's give it one more year, shall we? And in the glorious language of the old King James, till I shall dig about it and dung it. <laughs> or in the more delicate language of the New King James. Uh, dig around it and fertilize it. Fertilize it. That's a little kinder, gentler. Uh, but it adds up to the same thing. Uh, I will, so this is the keeper of the vineyard. He said, look, leave it alone. I'm going to dig around it and fertilize it. I mean, maybe we didn't try hard enough. If I do that, maybe next year it bears fruit and then we're fine. We don't have a problem. It's not wasting the ground, right? But if it's still bad after another year and we really gave it the old college try, then go ahead, you know, cut it down. So this has to be, this agricultural metaphor has to be about repentance, doesn't it? Doesn't it have to be about repentance? It just came after he said twice, 
Unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Let me tell you a random story that has nothing to do with what I just said. No, that's not the way Jesus, you might think that's what he's doing, but that isn't the way that he rolls. He's, he's making sense. Here's a story about repentance. If you haven't, isn't it interesting? He says, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And this tree is about to perish because it's not bearing fruit. And so this idea of digging around it, which to me is like, like self-examination, you know, you, you, you fertilize it and everything, uh, do the repentance, and then if it bears fruit, what does it say in the parable of the sower? The good ground bears fruit, right? That's the sign that you've re reached stage four in your sower parable is that you bear fruit. Some 100-fold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. Uh, so isn't this a similar story here? And doesn't this give us a little clue that the way that we open our... How do you become good ground? What this says is repent. Repentance is how... Which makes sense. Like repent of our hardness. Hardness of heart. Hardness of mind. The Lord's trying to sow the word and we just, it just bounces right off. And these false thoughts meant by the birds come and grab it. So re repent of that hardness. Uh, when we just have a little depth of earth but we don't have any root or whatever, keep on repenting. You've got a little soil now. Then you get enough soil, but you've got all this junk coming up, the thorns. Repent of those thorns. Get those out of there. That's how we become good ground. Uh, that's how we open ourselves to the Word. And you see what I'm driving at tonight? That you can easily think, really most of my life, the way that I've thought about Scripture is that I am, as I said in the beginning, you know, I'm the active party. Like, I open it, I'm reading, I'm, I'm doing something. And it didn't dawn on me forever that it is doing something to me. You know, <laughs> when I present myself to it, I just have my head in the book, but the thing is going, hey, repent, you know, or unless you perish. Be good ground. It, it's, it's, it's working me. It's doing something to me. And um, so how do we facilitate that? How do we let, the, let that do something? Let the Word uh, shape us. Look later on in that very same chapter 13. We read two chunks of Matthew 13. Let's read two chunks of Luke 13. Let's go down to verse 18, same place we were in the corresponding spot in Matthew. It doesn't usually work this way. I don't know what's going on. But uh, it's a good night numerically at least. Let's look at verse 18 there. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? Yes, good question. And to what shall I compare it? Mm. It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Yes, it was very interesting to me that that fig tree in verse 6 was in his vineyard. Not just anywhere on the property, it's in his vineyard. And here is, where is it? He took a grain of mustard seed. Where did he put it? In his garden. In his garden. Interesting. See, from the very beginning of the Old Testament, isn't there this idea of the Garden of Eden and so on? And then when they get driven out of the garden, when the sort of evil comes in the door and all that, then they need to till. Isn't that like really basic to the story? That they have to go out. And now, you know, the land used to just produce of its own accord. Now you've got to dig in there. You've got to work it. 
This is an image of, of repentance and what we have to do to prepare ourselves to be receptive to what the Word is trying to give us. And so it's very interesting to me that it's that part of your property, your spiritual property, that you already worked, your garden, the vineyard. And these things correspond to, Swedenborg says, to the church, by which he means sort of uh, religiousness in general, spirituality in general, that that's where your fig tree ought to be bearing fruit. Figs, figs have to do, we did a Bible study on figs a couple of years ago, figs have to do with your just simple acts of kindness. You know, they, they may not be exalted spiritual amazingness or whatever. They're just helping people out, doing, doing nice things. That's what a fig means. So when the Lord comes to the church and he sees people aren't even treating each other decently, they aren't even you know, saying nice things or doing nice things for each other. And he's been coming for three years, and three years always means an amazing, you know, it's a full length of time. That's like, hey, this has had plenty of time to bear fruit. What's going on here? There's, there's no fruit. Isn't it interesting that there's this pleading, like, hey, let's try one more thing. The Lord's coming into this world was an effort. I think he took on the role of the keeper of the vineyard, came into this world and said, hey, let's dig around it. Let's throw some fertilizer in there. And I think his very words are kind of like, hey, come on. Hey, listen. Hey, you know, he, he's not leaving alone. He's digging around it and saying, hey, come on, come on. You're supposed to be good to each other. That's what he's doing to, to try to make it, make it good. And here's this grain of mustard seed, which is supposed to be a tiny little thing, right? Which he put in his garden and it grew and it became this great tree. See, the word, isn't that like the seed that the sower sows? The word has this ability, the truth of the word has this ability to grow in our lives and expand from being this tiny little seed to becoming this great tree. And who came? Who was drawn by the tree and the branches of it? The birds of the air. Oh, yes, the birds of the air. The birds of these are not your underwater birds. These are the birds of the air. The birds of the air are spiritual thoughts uh, that are able to come there because you've got a tree there now, you know, that wasn't there before. Like what the Word wants to do is build this whole structure in us and say, hey, now the angels can come and give you their thoughts because you've got a tree. You know, the birds can, can come and, and, and stay in there. And uh, what did it say? Nested in the branches? In your yep. translation, dear mm -hmm. reader? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you, you will know, good friends, that this is eskenos and the, the Greek. No, I'm just making stuff up. But the, the Greek, <laughs> no, I think it actually does say that. It means that they, the birds literally tabernacled or tented in the branches of the tree. It's an odd use of the Greek verb. It says here in the Old King James, lodged in yours is nested because nobody could handle birds making little tents in the tree. But the... Um, but actually, the, from the spiritual meaning of it, you know, they really dwelt there. They set up shop. You know, that's like the, the angels coming in and living with us because we've got this structure inside there because this little mustard seed grew. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's this process where this whole thing grows within us. So how do we open ourselves to that? All right. I thought maybe we'd just read some more scriptures. Does that sound good? Let's go to the middle of the... <laughs> 
-hmm. It's as good a time as any to do it. I mean, when you're in Bible study, we might as well do it. So Isaiah is in the middle of your Bible. Let's go to chapter 27. Strange little passage here. Mm. See what you make of this. Isaiah chapter 27. Let's read the first few verses. Very, very odd. Very strange. In that day. Ah, now in that day often means like when the Lord's, you know, it's a projection of the Lord's coming. In that day, this amazing stuff is going to happen. Okay, what's going to happen in that day? The Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, mm. will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Oh. Leviathan, that twisted serpent. Oh, yes. And he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Yes, in the old King James, the dragon that is in the sea. Yes, right, that mm -hmm. reptile. Okay, so that may sound horrific, but when you realize those are evils in the human heart, it's a wonderful thing that the Lord in that day, he's going to really take care of that. That's right. And what in verse 2? In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. A vineyard of red wine. Red has to do with love. Wine has to do with truth. Vineyard has to do with the church. So sing to her, it doesn't say who, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. There'll be some song about the church being a place of love and truth. And then, what does it say in this cryptic verse 3? I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment. Lest any hurt it, I keep it night and day. Now, isn't that beautiful? It's sort of like this sower sowing the seed. The, the Lord waters it every day. Every day he's just sharing truth. You know, I, I water it every day. I water it every day. And he keeps it night and day so that no one will, will hurt it. He, he protects anybody who's receptive to him in this world of whatever religion. Uh, let's turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark. We're jumping around tonight. How do we open ourselves? Look at Mark chapter 4. Let's start at verse 26. See if this has anything to do with anything. Hmm. And he said, the kingdom of God oh. is... Good. More about the kingdom of God. This is great. Okay, good. What is it? Is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Oh, sort of like the parable of the sower. Okay, someone's scattering seed on the ground. Okay. And should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. There it is, friends. There it is. Isn't that amazing? So this person... Isn't that what happens when you're a gardener? Like you, you may plant something and then you go to sleep, you get up, night goes by, day goes by and all that kind of stuff. And the thing just springs and grows up and you don't have a clue how that thing came out of the ground. You may have planted it, but it's growing and you don't even know how, you know what would get in the way. I mean, if you parked your car on top of it, it wouldn't work. Um, so you, you know how to stop it, but you really don't know how that happens. Go on. For the earth yields crops by itself. Oh. 
first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain in the head. Mm. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now that's amazing because in the other passage, it seemed like, wow, three out of four kinds of ground were lousy. It didn't really work out, you know? Only one kind was good ground and fruit came. And yet here, the earth just kind of spontaneously brings forth, you know, it's kind of amazing, you know? This must be receptive, good earth, and, and there's a process. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain, and so on. And when the fruit comes, then he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's what you're looking for when you plant. The Lord was looking for fruit, parable of the sower, looking for fruit. The parable of that fig tree, looking for fruit. That's what the Lord is looking for, that basic sort of doing of good. That's what the Lord is looking for. Okay, isn't that fun? Uh, and guess what follows that? Look at that. See what's there in verse 30? Then he oh, said, It's the grain of mustard seed that grows, and mm. then and all the things they come and they lodge in the sand. Right. Same story again. Isn't that interesting? It's right in there in that same story. Good. Let's turn to the right, and we will go through John and Acts through Romans. And I want to get to 1 Corinthians. Another interesting passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul, there's a big fight about who baptized whom. You know, whose baptism was better than whose baptism in the early church and what is going on. Okay, so let's start. Uh, yeah, let's start at the beginning of the chapter there, 1 Corinthians 3. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Oh, so would you say that you were trying to sow the seeds of truth, Paul, and yet there wasn't the level of receptivity there for it to be effectively received? Go yes, on, yes, dear I Paul. <laughs> I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. Yes. And the word in the Old King James is you were not able to bear it. And you remember Jesus says in John 16, I have more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. And so Paul is in the same boat. He wants to tell people more, but their, you know, their level of receptivity is only so great. Okay, go on. Even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Mm. For where that there means of the flesh, right? I mean, it's sort of fleshly or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Yes, mere, mere mortals. That's right. It's not very heavenly. And what, what are they doing? What are they saying? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. Now listen to this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Listen to that. Isn't that beautiful? This is great. Same thing we're talking about tonight. So Paul said, sure, I'm, I, may have, I, I may have planted something. Apollos watered it. We're all working together, you know, like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a Paulite. Oh, I'm an Apollosite, whatever you call it. You know, uh, these d divisions are going on. They're not understanding the real message. Uh, and I love that statement. 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. That's, you know not how. You don't know how it grows. We don't even know how it grows in ourselves. But it's planted, it's watered, and then it grows up. And uh, look at verse 7. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Yes, it's all God. It's all, don't be thinking about Paul. Don't be thinking about Apollos. It's all God. Go on. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That's right. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Yes. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Yes, you are God's field. You are God's building. Isn't that interesting? So it fits very well with this agricultural theme of cultivation and everything, the planting and the watering, but it's really God that does that growth. So why would I bring that up tonight? We're talking about God is the active party in the Word. He's the one that's doing, you know, does the planting. He, if, if you're receptive to it, He, he grows it, it grows. Uh, God is actually the active party. So it may look like the Bible is just a passive thing and you turn wherever you want, you read whatever you want, you think whatever you want about it. But actually the Lord is doing something to us, especially depending on what our soil pH is, is like at a given moment, so to speak. You know, what, what's the condition of our soil, spiritually speaking. Uh, let's turn to the right and go further into the epistles. I want to go through Galatians and Ephesians and get to Philippians chapter 2. This just seemed related. It does, doesn't say anything agricultural, but in 2, verse 12 and 13. Let's look there see what that says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Wow. Work out your own salvation. So we're supposed to do something. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then the very next verse gives you a very different impression. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Yeah, there's the whole conundrum. Are we the ones, are, are we active? Are we doing it? Or is God doing it? Well, we do it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is the one who's doing it. He's the one who's actually working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So that to me is the whole kind of parable of the sower right there and the repent, you know, digging around the tree and all that, the things that we have to do to respond. And uh, the Lord is the one actually doing the work. He's actually the active party. Let's go to the right through Colossians and 1 Thessalonians. Get to 2 Thessalonians. Can you say that, dear reader? 2 Thessalonians? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <laughs> We didn't set that up ahead of time. <laughs> no. oh, that just happened. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, uh, verses sixteen and seventeen—a similar sort of passage. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, 
comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Yeah. See, again, it's an interesting passage about the Lord's love and He is going to establish us. So we may feel like we're the active party. We're doing these good works. We're trying to prepare ourselves, trying to open ourselves to the word. The Lord is establishing us in every good word and work. And in that wonderful passage from Mark, we don't even know how the Lord is doing what he's doing. We don't, we don't know how, how the growth occurs. Uh, another passage that's so important to me is back into Isaiah in the middle of Scripture. We have done a whole Bible study on this one all by itself. And it's just a favorite of mine. We've gone back to it a number of times. This is Isaiah chapter 55. And to me, this is so crucial for understanding what the Word is and how it works. I, I just love it. And I get more out of it all the time. 55, let's start at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you could see just from that verse where I get the idea that we may think we're coming into the Word and we're the active party and, and, and the Bible just has a bunch of writing on the page. Who knows how it was edited or who put it together or whatever. And so we're kind of the active party and it's just passive and you flip through. And yet what the Lord is saying, it, no, 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 we're down here. He's got a whole level of thought going on that we don't even know what that is. Go on. And so here he is, his, his thoughts his ways are higher than ours. And then he gives this wonderful, somewhat agricultural metaphor. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth. Watering the earth. Isn't that we heard? But like watering, watering the earth, planting the seed, watering the earth. These are repeated metaphors in scripture. So as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they don't just sort of loop around and go back there, they fall down. And what do they do? They water the earth. And what happens then? And make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. There's such a wonderful sense to me of purpose in this whole chain that the watering of the earth, that's not just for the sake of falling out of the sky. That's to make the earth bring forth and bud. But the reason you make the earth bring forth and bud is that it may give seed to... Who? The sower. the sower. Give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And when you think about it, seed to the sower is sort of a beginning of a cycle, isn't it? Give seed to the sower because the sower is going out and the sower needs to have something to sow. So you give seed to the sower. And then at the other end of that whole process, the whole point is for there to be bread for the eater. Right? The sower and the eater are two different ends of this thing. Right? Uh, but the, the rain is coming down for all of that to happen. Again, you see the Lord's amazing preoccupation with our fruitfulness. Uh, this is why the, the doctrine that we're saved by faith alone and any idea that people may get out of that, that our good works make no difference. That you don't need to do them. They're not necessary. They actually get in the way of salvation, some people say. Uh, how out of alignment with the scripture that truly is because uh, the Lord's purpose is always, no, I'm looking for a product at the end of the day. I want fruit. 
I want people to be blessed. I want people who receive this word to be sowers to sow seed for others. I want there to be bread for the eater. That's what I want. And then, so there's all the rain and, this, and all that stuff. And then here's the punchline in verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Mm. So that whole thing about the rain and the snow is another picture of the word. It's interesting that the seed is a picture of the word. So is the rain. The watering is a picture of the word. Uh, so as the rain comes down and it does all this active stuff, it makes this whole chain possible where it makes the earth bring forth and bud, then it gives seed to the sower, it gives ultimately bread to the eater. All of that happens because of the rain got it all started. And so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. What was the rest of that wording, dear reader? It shall not return to me void or something. Mm -hmm. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. See, the Lord is the active party behind the word. That's really our core thought tonight, is that the word is something active. There's something active in it. It's so sneaky, isn't it, in a way to present it as something passive. Just a book, take it or leave it. You know, you don't have to read it. Nothing happens. You never hear the book whimpering. The, the, the book is never going to say, read me, read me. You know, uh, it's entirely up to us whether we read it or not what we're thinking while we read it, and all that. And yet, it's this very active thing that the Lord sent in order to change us. And it's hard to even really think about how it, it, uh, it changes us because the, the seed grows, we know not how. You know, we, we don't know how it does the work that it does, but it is actually somehow able to reform, Swedenborg says, first thing we do is repent, and then the Word will reform our minds and then regenerate our hearts, and that reformation has to do with uh, swapping out your thinking, and it's, it's a long process. It takes a while. Didn't it say first the blade and then, you know, so on? There, there's all these stages of growth, or that mustard seed turning into a giant tree that the birds can come and live in. Uh, that's a long process. We initiate it by being good ground. And this is why it's so important for us to do repentance. What is repentance? Just briefly put, it's laying aside, it's doing self-examination, using the things that we've already seen in the Word uh, or any other religious principle or, or whatever. Just like, oh, I need to be a better person. That's evil. I shouldn't do that and so on. Laying that thing aside, praying to the Lord for help not to do that anymore, changing our lifestyle, and then the Lord can, then we become good ground and the Lord starts to work. And he's just, he's, he, he's got an unending eternal project to do with our minds. He loves to tinker with our minds and our moods and everything. Ting, ting, ting. Just work, work, work. And he changes our thoughts. He, he changes our feeling bit by bit. And he swaps in this feeling and that thought. And the word is all the time sort of quietly talking to us about the sort of feelings that we should have about our fellow human beings that we don't always have. And it's always quietly talking to us about who the Lord is and what's important and, and what's heavenly and what's good for our eternal life. And the word is 
acting. We can't even see it happening necessarily, but it's going working on our thoughts, working on our hearts, making making us different. It is actually the active party. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, good friends, um, but the stories from the Word, I don't know, it sounds trite to say it, but they have such power. Like, have you had this experience of a story just getting inside you, getting under your skin, and it just won't, won't leave you alone? It sort of haunts you. Something from the Word that's like, what does that mean? Or how does that work? Or like the one thing I'm clear about is that it would have to be whatever. Um, about, I guess, 15 years ago, the parable of um, uh, Lazarus and the rich man, the idea that the rich man has all this truth and everything, and Lazarus is dying full of stores, sores on his doorstep, uh, was so powerful. It just was haunting to me. Like, man, if you find yourself in the situation where you got the purple and the linen and you're faring sumptuously, every day, you've got to go out and help Lazarus. You have to. You know, the word was just shouting that at me. And, and when that, don't you find, when that gets inside you, 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 you can't, there, there's no uninstall. I, I don't know how, how to get rid of it, you know. When that thing is in there, it just works you. Like when, once it finds any sort of little tiny Grinch-like heart in there and, and can try to amplify it and make it a little larger. It just works on you and, and gets that conscience and, and that desire to help others, you know, in there. These stories are so amazing. And some of these things are things like the, the, the parable I just mentioned. The Lord sort of knocks that off in about 10 verses. You know, it took him a few minutes to say that. But, oh, there's power in there. You know, that's, that story gets inside you and you just think, yeah, we gotta help Lazarus. How do you help Lazarus? Who is Lazarus? And, and what can we do? Such a tragic sort of story. So the word is always trying to do that. Swedenborg explains that Lazarus means, from his perspective, Lazarus means what, what Swedenborg might call the Gentile. In other words, it's people who are non-Christians or they haven't been exposed to these ideas. And because they don't have these things, they're full of sores because they don't know how to prevent them. They, they don't know what to do about these spiritual sores. And so they're dying on the doorstep and they're right there. And all you'd have to do is just go out and share a little bit of what you have with them. And um, so these, these stories are, are potent. Uh, they, they get under your skin. And it's interesting how even from an early age, if you're exposed to them, they can just get inside you and, and work you. And sometimes I do have this experience, friend, where a certain story at a certain month or year of your life will just be like, that's the story, you know? That's the one. Uh, that, that's, that's haunting me right now. That's, that's guiding me. Some guide us in a very positive way. Some kind of convict us and, and make us uncomfortable with, with what they say uh, about greed or covetousness or or self-centeredness or, or whatever, whatever your particular, whether you particularly like the piercing Leviathan or where you, whether you're more, uh, you prefer the, the twisted Leviathan, you know, whichever your poison is, you know, uh, these stories get in there and, and they want to they work on us. 
and it starts out um, something. I'll give you a little sneak preview of next week. This never ha I never know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but for some reason, last night it came to me what I'll talk about next week, which is a follow-through to this week, which is how the word goes from being marginal in our lives. So first of all, we're talking about how do you just open yourself up to it? And that basic kind of repentance, the basic kind of response, uh, I want to say some more about that in a second. But once you open yourself up, that still the word may, may be kind of peripheral and bizarre, but you can't help it. You heard that one story and it just got in you and worked. You're like, oh, you know, there's that story. It's working me. Uh, how do we go from that being on the margin of our lives to moving right downtown, really, really becoming the central thing in our lives? That's what we'll be talking about next week. Um, what was that other thing that I wanted to say, dear reader? Do you remember? It was about oh, something about the process of opening ourselves up in the first place. Yes, yes. Um, when you start, like you, our minds are interesting sort of filters, aren't they? Don't, do, do, do you have the sense, good friends, that everyone kind of lives in their own world and has their own reality? <laughs> Like everyone sort of has a different, you know, uh, I saw a show about a famous guy who they said had this, uh, I think it was called a reality distortion field around him or something, you know. Uh, the, uh, um, don't we all have our own sort of mindset and our own take on what's going on, our own sense of what's true? And so when we sit down at the beginning and we read scripture, we're, we can't help but come from that place. What else have you got? You sort of got your script or something and so you're reading from that script so how does the word unscript your script you know it's it's amazing but how does it sort of correct you and get you onto the right path so when we start doing repentance uh certainly my experience has been that that uh, i you know i don't know what i'm doing i do it all wrong i pick the wrong issue you know i do it the, the wrong way uh, I think one of the first things I repented of was was being late. Now, being late is not in Scripture. I don't, I don't remember that being in the Ten Commandments or anything, you know. But I was, you know, it was sort of a socially awkward trait that I had. It's not really against the Ten Commandments, as far as I know. But but the but that, so I was doing it all wrong, you know. Uh, but the Lord is in that process, so you you can't do it wrong, you know. I mean, the Lord will just take you from wherever you start. We start with our own crazy ideas. Where else are you going to start? And you go in there. But the Lord just says, just try it. Because once we try it, he can, then there's a little good ground. There's a little garden. Your garden's not big. A little postage stamp <laughs> out behind your house. But it's just because I can get a mustard seed in there. We can grow a tree. We can get this thing going, you know? Uh, the Lord can sort of pull us in from there, wherever it is. As we start to do that work, the Lord can kind of siphon us or, or kind of bend us in the right direction. So you don't even need to really, you don't, you don't understand Scripture. There are many, many things in Scripture that point out that if we're not repenting, we are completely wrong about what Scripture says. We don't even understand the book. But any sort of effort, anything that tugs our conscience and says, I should try this. I should go through this. It sure does say that a lot. Repent. Okay, I should probably try that. Uh, and so you go through your half-hearted, 
uh, stupid efforts and you say your dumb prayers and everything that are all wrong and and um, and uh, and the Lord is able to work with that you know and he can bring us along uh, because this thing is more active the word is more active than we are it's hard for our ego to admit it when we sit down and read scripture but when we read scripture we are actually in the presence of something that is much much wiser than we are that knows us better than we know ourselves that knows the pathway that knows even though we're unique and there's never been another you and there will never be another you whether that's a cause of rejoicing or regret uh, there will never be another you I don't know why I say these things. <laughs> but we are unique every one of us is unique we occupy our own territory how does the word know what we need some people are way over in the west some are way over in the east some are all over the map how does the and yet the word knows how to get there from here knows where we are knows how to get there from here and we'll just give you a little little baby steps you know sometimes it feels like a horror show or something but but actually the lord has just given us little baby steps we just step 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 and the lord brings us along in this direction to that goal we don't realize the first two thousand times we sit down with scripture necessarily that it's way wiser and more active more loving and more wise than we are has our best interests at heart knows us better as i say than we know ourselves and wants to make every possible effort is so delighted that we said that dumb prayer and we did that stupid repentance all wrong you know that's just a cause of great rejoicing in heaven because we are presenting ourselves we're opening ourselves we're not only opening the word we are opening ourselves to the word now the word can get to work thank you friends let's close with a prayer shall we Mm. our lord and savior jesus christ thank you for your word thank you for letting swedenborg know that inwardly in the word is you the word is you you are the word made flesh there's something living there's a garden of eden in there we wish to do our own feeble efforts lord to turn a little soil try, scrape the ground a little bit try to get it ready understanding from your parable that you are constantly showering this truth on us and hoping to find something receptive in our hearts we want to open ourselves to your word lord and we thank you for it our father who art in the heavens hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done as in heaven so upon the earth give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we may be good ground. <laughs>